Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Chris. And today on the show, we have Esteban Oriol. Hey, Esteban. Hi, Esteban. How's it going? Good. Good, good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. We are, like I said in my message, we're honored to chat with you. Um, <laughs> Definitely. But before we get into all that, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and kind of giving a background and how you got started in photography? Yeah, my name is Stefan Mori. I'm a photographer and director, born and raised in Los Angeles. And I got started in the early 90s when my dad gave me a, a spare camera he had sitting around. He was a photographer also. He told me to go out and shoot at that time when I was what I was doing, which was snow riding with my car club in East LA and then uh, tour managing House of Pain. Crazy. <laughs> and which which camera was that? Remind remind me. The camera that he gave me was a Minolta SRT2, but then when I moved into my own camera, as a Canon AE1. Mm-hmm. That's what I've never since. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's a good, uh, like it's one of those reliable, old, faithful cameras can drop it and uh, it'll just bounce on the concrete and then <laughs> not like these new cameras. They drop them, it's over. Yeah. The world is done. <laughs> so I wanted to start kind of at the beginning. I know you were tour managing when you first started out and then there was something that really stuck out to me in the documentary when you you said that you were like one of the only people with a camera. Yeah. Which is crazy because now, you know, every cameras are yeah. obviously everywhere. Yeah. And it really like resonated with me because I, I do a lot of like band work and, and musicians and stuff like that. And I was on set once and somebody took a picture with their iPhone and they ended up using that shot versus like I was hired. Ugh. I was shooting film specifically, you know, so when you when you were like had all that access and you were the only one there, I was just like, man, what a different world it must have been. Yeah, it was a great world. <laughs> Back then, like out of respect and it just was the way it was like. There was only one person allowed on any type of set with a camera, and that was a photographer. If you yeah. were, if you were to break out a camera, first of all, like nobody really even thought like that. Like an assistant mm-hmm. got a camera, and there was no such thing as behind the scenes or BTS or BS or whatever. It was just <laughs> you were hired as a photographer. You did the job, and that was it. There was no, there was no, uh, you know, side talking. Nobody like like mm-hmm. I went job one time and this lady she was bringing out she would take out her uh her iphone and start walking like 10 feet over and take a picture and go hey what do you think about this angle what do you think about this angle mm-hmm. what do you think if you took it up here and took it down here and all that like well i think those are all great i just want to do the first shot that we talked about right once I, I feel like i got that then we can do every other shot you want to do but 
to me, I'm like, if you hired me, then do me. You know, if you want to do it yourself, then do it yourself. Like, don't spend the money, don't waste my time, and uh, you know, do it with your phone. Who cares? Nobody. To, to me, it seems like nobody cares anymore. Anyways, it's like I think the reason why they use that picture of whoever took it with their phone on your job was because that's how people see now. That's how they're used to seeing. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Those cheap, you know, photos with no style and. You know, it's just like a like a 4D TV screen is what you're seeing. With a camera, you get depth of feel, and there's like coolness and style, and people aren't used to that. Mm-hmm. So you know, whoa, I don't know what that is. That's like that has like style. And that's cool. I don't want to use that. I'd rather use a corny iPhone picture that some guy standing next to me took. That makes a lot of sense to me nowadays. I mean, to us as photographers, it doesn't make no sense. You're like, right. wrong with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you had a lobotomy or something, but. <laughs> to the normal person, they're used to seeing a iPhone picture, and and that's like photography for them. But you know, it is what it is, and uh, you know, all we can blame is technology on that mm-hmm. part. But you know, I just try to push through all that stuff and keep trying to educate people on what a good picture is, what style is, what originality is, what uh, you know, film is, and you know, it's a constant thing that I'm trying to do, uh, you know, on a daily basis, but. It has to be done, you know. When people say, "Hey, what kind of camera should I get?" I tell them Canon A1. You know, I, like, oh, I thought you meant a digital. I want a digital camera. I go, "Well, start <laughs> here, so you can learn like where the craft comes from. You can learn anything yeah. about what you're doing from the ground up." And trust me, you won't be mad about it because you'll be like, "Hey, well, you know, man, I kind of like this better." So that's what I go through on a daily basis with people that you know DM me, like, you know, what do I? On some of my photos, I list everything, like the camera I mm-hmm. use, the laptop I use, the film I use, the location, because I kind of, I want to teach people, like, and then I kind of want to dare them to go and do something, you know, yeah, go ahead and try it. You can do, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the f-stop, I'll give you the film, the camera, the location, everything. Try and get a good shot, you know. You know, here's here's how I'm doing it. Go ahead and try it. Because everybody thinks it's so easy, you know. You just, you know, focus and, and push the button and, you know, how, how do you expect to get paid for that, you know. But how hard is it to, to swing a hammer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> somebody build the house and we'll see what they come up with. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Man, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what lens were you using on the AE1 because it looks like you use a lot of wide angle stuff, which is my absolute favorite. Are you shooting like a 28 or a fisheye or how? Well, I've gone with the 15 fisheye, then I have the 28, I have the 35, and the 50. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty high as I go because I kind of like to be you know, with the people near them. You know, I don't like to shoot 100 yards out with a 200 millimeter lens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a surfing contest or something like that, then I'll shoot with a 200 uh, fixed lens. Yeah, I just love that. I love there. I think it was some of the Eminem photos of when he was getting his tattoos in the documentary that it's just like you had the entire room in the shot mm-hmm. with him. You know, I just I'm a big fan of wide angle. I think that's like probably coming from concert photography, like being in the pit, like shoving my camera up into the. You know, I just always enjoy wide angle shots. I have a 20 millimeter. Ooh. I have a 15, a 20, a 28, 35, and a 50. But I try to roll around with two. Like, I have one on the camera and one in my pocket. You know, I go through lenses and cameras. You know, I, I break them or drop them and stuff like that. But lately, I I only have the 28 and the 50. I put one in my pocket and one on the camera, and I just run around like that. So is it is it still with the AE-1? Is that what you're using still to this yeah. day? Man. Yeah, I was using the 1B. 
Canon 1B mm -hmm. for a little, I kept running into technical problems with it. Like they were the, I think the shutter on them goes out or uh, the connection with the battery okay. pack. It was costing more, it would cost more to fix them than it would to buy another one. Right. So I bought four of those for 400 bucks and then I just got tired of it and went back to just rolling around the Canon A1, they're $50, brand new from Japan, some weirdo. <laughs> them away since the 70s yeah. and they're I'm like why why am I over here you know spending all this money but the what what I liked about the 1B is it was the last film camera that they made that could have the interchangeable lenses with the uh, with the Mark 3s Mark 4s you know the 5Ds so yeah 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 electronic lenses from the 5Ds with my film camera so I kind of like cuz what I was my my perfect kit to have is the Canon A1 as a backup the 1B is the working camera, and then the 5D is the filming camera for doing video. Oh, right. I like to take those three, and, and that's what I have as my my little work kit. But my 1B broke, so I'm back to the, the Canon A1, and then I just shoot uh, footage with the 5D. Did you ever shoot digital for your photography work, or are you strictly film? Uh, no, I shoot digital for, for customers because they don't want they kind of they think that when you tell them the uh the price you know film and, and processing and proofing and printing they're like oh no i don't i don't want to pay for that no so kind of uh they think they're getting away cheaper by by doing it digitally but what i like to do is i i uh i get my assistant to do all the editing which is photoshopping mm -hmm. and i charge them for that anyway so <laughs> I'm like, exactly Want to, oh, you want to uh, Photoshop or edit or whatever? Cool. Yeah, I'll just get my assistant to do it. You know, we could give them an hourly thing, and then it balances out. But they ended up they they don't get the cool film; they get the digital. Man, do you do you feel like when you use your digital camera, do you end up like wasting shots, kind of just like the spray and pray deal, or do you kind of go at it like you're shooting film when you when you shoot that stuff? Whatever extra shots I get, I end up, I delete them right away. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, uh, I don't go back to the house with you know 500 photos. I try to keep the numbers the same at the end of the the, the shoot day. You know, I don't want to torture the people that you know my like my assistant mm -hmm. that <laughs> 500. You know, and it's not cool. You know, so I take away all the ones where the the eyes or people were blinking mm -hmm. or something like that, and I just give them the the ones that I end up working with. So when did you get into directing? When when did that transition happen? That was in 1997. Started directing music videos, and um, that went pretty good. I, I had about seven videos under my belt from you know the Cypress Hill crew mm -hmm. before I went out and started shooting other bands. And the uh, the first band I shot was uh, D12. The song was called "I'll Shit on You," and I went to Detroit and shot that video with a Bolex 16 millimeter mm, camera. Love that. Yeah. Uh, it came out you know really good and ended up taking off from there and you know went on to do like 50 music videos wow that's so crazy i didn't it's just i was i'm an 80s baby like i was born in the 80s and then grew up through the 90s and just okay. seeing how much a part of the scene that i was like jamming and listening to as a kid that you were just right there like with all those people it's still just mind-blowing that that documentary is just amazing by the way like absolutely love 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 that documentary you so how did that all come about you said about you had a bunch of footage and stuff yeah i had like 20 25 years of footage and um what happened was uh you know i'd always wanted to do a documentary but it wasn't it wasn't set up nowhere mm. so i got a deal with uh brian grazer oh wow 
and uh, about like maybe 07 maybe or 08 and um, uh, 07 or 08 and it, and we were shopping the documentary to him and Lawrence Bender that's the producer of uh, for Quentin Tarantino and and they wanted they said let's do a documentary and Brian Grazer and Ron Meyer from Universal said let's do a feature but if we do a feature we want to tie up the documentary mm. because we don't want uh, them to compete with each other so mm. got the the documentary got put away for 10 years wow we did the movie uh, it took seven years to get a script three years Years to get the movie approved and made and then uh, we got the footage back in 17 and then we ended up doing the uh, I ended up signing another deal with a guy named Sebastian Ortega that had a production company called underground in Argentina and we ended up taking it down there to his production company and they edited it down there and uh, he was he had prior deals with Netflix in Argentina, and so the Argentina division showed it to the Netflix over here, and then they ended up accepting it, and they released it worldwide. So, how is uh, how's life been since the release? Oh, it's been I've been in quarantine. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. I couldn't go to the film festivals that they had. I couldn't go to none of the uh, red red carpet events that they had hooked up and I wasn't able to go to any meetings with anybody because you know when once you when you have a movie like that and it's about to come out you start sitting up all your mm -hmm. meetings you know because you can use that as a hype thing like oh I got this movie coming out on Netflix let's do this you know let's have these meetings and that and the other but when you're in quarantine and can't go nowhere yeah so all the film festivals all the events all the meetings went away and uh, the good part about it was I had some uh, merch laying around in my warehouse and people started googling my name mm -hmm. and going to my store because at that point i had collected all the money from jobs that i had done before that and then uh so at that point it was like you know i was kind of like I, I collected all the money from all the jobs that i had done and i was just about to have like the best year of my life i had all the work hooked up and those started canceling like week by week. Yep. And the film festival appearances started canceling and the events and everything. Everything was disappearing. I was like, man, you know, this this might get ugly, you know, because, you know, I don't know how I'm supposed to pay my bills with no money coming in. Yeah. And luckily, the movie came out. Everybody was stuck at home. Everybody watched the movie, liked it, started buying my stuff. And, uh, you know, I was just glad that, that – uh, Tiger King did so good because that brought everybody to, <laughs> yeah. that brought everybody to Netflix yeah. and everybody was sick of hearing about Tiger King and, and seeing anything about it that they wanted to see something fresh and new. So they came over and they checked out LA Originals and went to my store, got some merch, and I was able to you know live off of that money for that first month. And then I started getting creative because that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. And I started thinking like, because when the, first, when the merch thing, <clears throat> first happened my my warehouse where i make the merch was closed down and all the places that make the the t-shirts was closed down you know that that sell the blanks so everything in every part of my life was closed down luckily i was able to find some places that were out of state that could do the drop shipping and i was able to get some shirts shipped to me i was able to get some guys uh what happened was um the company i work with they started making masks mm. So that made them essential. So they were able to reopen. Oh, that's so Thank our, goodness. Yeah, I was able to start making merch again. I started doing collabs with uh, different people, like four companies. And we did some 
t-shirt drops during the you know COVID-19 because everybody is sitting at home, couldn't go to stores, couldn't do nothing. So they get bored and they start buying stuff on the That's internet. That's true. And I was able to live off of that. But now we're in the second wave of the COVID and who knows, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still coming out with creative ideas, but now we're, looks like we're, you know, locking down again. Everything's closed again. Yeah. But people aren't panicking this time because we've already been here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not all buying the toilet paper and all the yeah. food out there. So kind of, it's kind of better because everybody's used to, they're used to it. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to be fighting in the market lines for toilet paper and taking all the meat and freezing and all that crazy shit. So it's kind of cool this time around, but, you know, everybody, now more people are getting sick, more people are dying. The president says if we, if we stop testing, the cases will go down because there won't be, if you don't have no tests, you don't have no results. So that would have no cases. And I was like, man, we should have thought of that. <laughs> right? Man, we'd be great right now. But, had no virus at all. Yeah. Should have done that with AIDS and everything else. Just uh, never, nobody ever have anything. And then, when, you know, we just won't know why people are dying or anything. Ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, yeah, protests and, uh, yeah. I tried to shoot the riots, but they only lasted for like a day, you know, yeah. half maybe. And then, uh, tried to shoot, um, because in the, in the 90s, in 1992, the, the, there, was, there was the real LA riots, yeah. really crazy. And it was great, you know, like, it was like the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. It hadn't happened for 30 years before that. So that was in the 60s. And it was kind of cool, like, to be in the city. When the 92 riots went crazy, it was like, it was 100 times worse. Mm -hmm. The whole city was on fire. There was people getting dragged out of cars of all races and getting, you know, beat down and hit with bricks in the head and stuff like that. And the cops were hiding the, even the firemen were hiding. All the parking enforcement were hiding. So it was a thousand percent just panic mode for everybody. And you know, if you had a gun, you rolled around with it because you were enforcer. You were your own security. This time, I made a point that I was gonna go take pictures of the police and the uh, and the national guard. Let me uh, plug in my phone. Tag. So that's what uh, that's what I did. I went out. With, uh, one day with my daughter and uh, two friends of ours, Mario right here, and another one, Renee. And we went out to the riots <laughs> and got shot with rubber bullets, Ugh. tear gas, pepper spray, flashbangs, and um, paintball uh, pellets. And that was pretty fun. We got some good pictures. Oh. And uh, it was a good time, but, you know, it was kind of hectic at the same time. It was kind of hectic, too, because, you know, getting shot at and you don't the one thing i was afraid of getting shot at was with the rubber bullets mm-hmm. because they're about that big and they they can easily take out your eye right. and that's the one thing like when i wear these glasses this one never uh never works really it's not not all rarely in focus hmm. but this one this is my shooting eye so i was thinking man like what if i take the camera down and they shoot me in the eye and it's over jeez, you know, like, jeez. What, what do i do so it was kind of a uh, cool adrenaline type thing but i was out there you know on the front lines I'm not gonna lie oh wow right there with the police not on their side but, <laughs> yeah. but you know they they get pissed off because they're like wow who's this guy and why is he taking pictures of us? Wow. I just want to make sure that I had a documentation of uh, them. And then the last time I was 
also it was the the National Guard was out. Wow. And I'll never forget like that first time I saw army men walking down the street with a tank side by side and with a Hummer. And uh, I was blown away by that, you know? And and so this time I want to make sure that I that I documented that. So I got a, you know, they even had some, some ladies out there. Oh, oh man. Representing with the AR-15. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it's it was kind of cool to just go out and take some. Uh, That's so wild. Portraits. Of, of army men walking around in the streets you know it's like it's a, not every day wow. put it that way different world or something way different it was like you really got to feel what it was like when people don't have control no more and, and the army comes in and wow and takes takes control of your city they had a they had to protect city hall damn wow they didn't know uh people were trying to rush into city hall and they want to make a, a statement you know they're like well let's go to city hall and to me, if, if you're rioting, like, in my mind, I, I would have thought the guys that were rioting would think, like, let's not mess up the little fashion store that's on the street that's owned by some, you know, family or whatever, or some little liquor store or restaurant. Who's the problem with? The problem was with the police. Like, in Minneapolis, when they burned the police yeah. station down, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, that, that, sounds, like, that sounds like they're on the, the right path. And then, uh, yeah, I think it was Washington or Portland, they took over that that one city block oh, yeah. where they had the police mm-hmm. station there. And to me, that makes sense. You know, like if you're going to go against the system, then go against the system, you know? Don't go to the mom and pop shops and burn it and loot it and do all that crazy shit that doesn't, you're affecting the people that, that don't have nothing to do with the problem. Exactly. So, it, I mean, if, what if they would have went to the police station and burned down all everybody's records? Or went to the courthouse and burned down everybody's, you know, Shit. cases or something like yeah. that. Or went and took all, what if they looted all the evidence that was, you know, in the these, you know, police stations or whatever. You know, like, what would happen if all that would happen? You know, right. everybody would have, records would have went away, all the evidence would have went away. But they were like, oh, let's go burn down the fashion <laughs> store. Let's go get Gucci. Yeah, let's make a mess. <laughs> yeah, let's go get skate shops. And shit. Oh, yeah, man. these guys are, uh-huh. you know, they, they, they came in late. But it was cool that, you know, at least I got it for the picture. It's a great yeah. shot. Is that, are those darkroom prints? Yeah. There's a guy with his little shield. Oh, Jeez. wow. Um, I get them done at a photo lab because, to me, printing is an art form all in itself. It's true. And I let the pros do it. Yeah. Like, I, I consider myself a pro photographer because I pay my bills doing it. Mm. I don't, con- you know, to me, it's like a profession and it's an art form and it's a career. The same with the printing, you know, I don't, I can't go around saying, you know, I'm going to go and sit in the dark room and print my own stuff. Like there's people that do that and it's cool and bless their soul that they could take pictures and go sit in the dark room <laughs> for all day and all night but I, one i don't have the patience and two i'm not that good at it so why would i i feel like i'm saving time and money by letting the professional yeah. do it than by me going in there for hours and hours and hours and doing test strips and you know shaking it and checking it and doing all that for a 20 dollar print you know that's true have you ever been in a dark room or has it always kind of been here? yeah 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 no i went to i i took a class on it in east l.a there's a lot of people who they stick to what they're good at. Basically, it's the, there's definitely yeah. you know power in, in that for sure. That's how it's supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's supposed to you know it's supposed to be stay in your lane. 
Yeah. <laughs> so true. You know, like, why, why would you want to do anything but that? But some people are like, I give it up to the youth today. I mean, back in the day when I was directing, you were the director or you were the shooter or you were the editor or you, you had a, a position. Yes. Very, very rarely would a director know how to function with a camera. Whereas nowadays the youth, they can edit, yep. direct, star in the video, rap in the video and do the craft service all at once. <laughs> yeah. For the low, low price of free uh. up to <laughs> the astronomical, like $500 to shoot a commercial or music video where back in the day, you wouldn't even be allowed to shoot a music video for less than uh, 20000 Wow. Yeah. So It's crazy. Shout out to all the people that messed up the game. <laughs> yeah. Made it so nobody could make no money. Thank you, guys. You did a great thing there. Yeah, I think about that every time I'm in Walmart or Target and I see prosumer camera DSLRs sitting yep. for sale and it's like every soccer mom and, you know, whatever is a professional YouTuber and video maker and photographer. And I mean, Chris, you just posted something on your Instagram. I think it was like today or yesterday about what mm -hmm. people value when you go to a shoot, you know, like they just think you click a button, a button. And, yeah and that's it that like not all the time you've spent learning your craft and all that goes into it it's pretty wild yeah they have no idea yeah especially because of all the iphones and everything it makes it look so easy yeah I, it's crazy i mean i mean I, I use it to my advantage now but i don't really like to i'd rather it be the old school way but if i'm gonna drop a t-shirt i'll just tell one of my friends hey throw this t-shirt on and I'll shoot it with my iPhone and post it within seconds. Yeah. Whereas before we used to have a meeting like, hey, what are we going to do with our marketing yeah. campaign? Like, how are we going to roll this out? Like, you'd have to think about stuff. And it and you would plan it for a couple of weeks. Whereas now you're like, oh, I just got this. I just picked up this shirt from the silk screener. Hey, throw this on real quick. Let me take a picture of my iPhone. And within seconds, it's posted to the whole world to see. And, and you can put it on your website within an hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now you have your marketing campaign worldwide available for sale. Your product's available for sale and crazy, but you got to roll, roll with the time. That's true. Yeah. It's amazing how much things have changed. Because I think about when I was making music, all that would lead up to like an album release and merchandise for that release and all the stuff that you would do. Now it's, you, you know, kind of like Instagram. You put a photo up and it's gone in three seconds. Somebody just kind of swipes right past it. You put a song up, like it either takes off or it's dead in the water. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so weird how things have changed so drastically from when I was a kid. I guess it's because we have all this stuff at our fingertips. Like we're carrying a computer around with us wherever we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. So Esteban, how did uh, your book come to be? What's the story? <laughs> uh, that was my third one. Yep. And the first one was LA Woman. The second was LA Portraits. And that's my third one. And uh, the, the very first book concepts came I, I made out of these playing cards and I wanted to test the waters and somebody said hey I want to do a project with you you know and I told me if you want to invest in this thing I want to make these playing cards so they invested in it and when I whatever like I sold whatever amount and I gave them their money back and then whatever I sold on top of that I was able to oh, keep cool. And the concept was uh, the hearts and the diamonds. I put as the the women mm. because you know the love and uh, diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> yeah. And 
and then the clubs and the spades, I made all like the guys and the, the culture. It, it ended up doing good to where I was like, you know, there was a good response. So I should just make a whole book of the women. I called the LA woman. And then I, with the guys and the cars and stuff, I called it LA portraits. And, uh, both those books had a good, like a good response. So my publisher was like, what do you want to do next? And I said, I want to show people all the different yeah. elements that I shoot, you know. And, you know, I love my city. I'm, you know, this is where I'm from and this is where I get the most inspiration. So I wanted to do a book dedicated to the whole city called It Is Los Angeles. I put a hip hop or music, celebrities, the low riding, women, gangsters, and just like different key locations in the city put that one out and did really well so now i'm trying to figure out what the next i wanted to make sure i could put together like 25 books before wow before i pass away because i looked at a, a catalog of Araki, the photographer from japan and there was like 250 books wow the catalog and i was like man if i could do 10 percent of what this guy did <laughs> right I'd be I'd be happy with that. Most of them, you know, were catalogs of, of shows and stuff like that, but they still had the IBN number in them, and you know, they still were considered official books. A lot of them had re repeat material, but I was like, if I could do ten percent of that, all different stuff, I'd be happy with myself. So I did the girls, I did the the gangsters, and then I did a little bit of everything I did in LA, and now I'm going to uh, do a low riding. I'm going to do cool. LA Woman 2 book for Ruka, the clothing company that oh, I, yeah. I've worked with. I'm going to do a, a hip hop or a music one. I'm going to come out with my own label. Oh, wow. Of, of artists that I want to support. And uh, I'm going to start putting out books by them. You know, the first one probably being my dad and then uh, other guys that, that are following my, my lead in the, in the kind of work that I'd like to do. So I want to show them, you know, support because a lot of people, it's it's hard to put out a book. Yeah. It's hard to sell. Nobody does it, you know, anymore. Dude, I love, I love hearing that. Yeah. It's uh, become one of my favorite photo books. It's really, it's really amazing. All the different, just the culture and, and just these iconic images and the, and the people in here. I just wanted to say, Congrats on it. It's, it's oh, thank yeah, you. it's phenomenal. Thank you very much. So in the beginning, you actually say that you have like 50,000 to like a million negatives or images. No, 500,000. 500,000. That's right. Yeah. That's incredible. What a, what a, what a career. Yeah. So right now I'm just setting up my, my office right now. My friend, let me use his office cause he's not, uh, he's not coming to work. Mm. So I'll show you right here. Oh, wow. See, that, that whole wall is going to be all file cabinets. Wow. That's crazy. So I'll, I'll show you kind of like, just so people can get an idea of what, and they go, oh, yeah, right, 500,000. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> How could he have that many? This is a, the working Jeez. file of just like stuff that I have to file that I've been doing lately. So if you look at all these, they all have, here's some negatives I got to file, label. Wow. And then each one of these, they all have, oh my God. you know, different uh, jobs that I've done, the, the, the negatives, the proof sheets, you know, all the way from the working file is just one thing of all stuff that I have in, uh, that I'm still using. Wow. Jeez. So that's the, uh, then we're painting this wall all black. Nice. You know, just so when I do zooms, it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> But people, you know, when once I fill that whole wall up with the 
all my file cabinets because I'm going to um, fill up that whole wall with all the file cabinets because I just need to have that, you know, be able to look at it and have it within my reach. Yeah. And then I got a, a scanner right here and a printer and all that. And then I just start laying out my book. Do you have everything filed where you know where it is? Like if you think of a shot, like you kind of have an idea yeah. of where, man. I need to do that with my Yeah, that's impressive. I'm I'm so confused with my binders of negatives. I'm just like, I have no idea where anything is. The only thing I don't have is my, uh, is digitized. Mm. Here, here's what I've been, you know how you said have you been shooting at all? Mm -hmm. During the pandemic? Here's what I've been shooting there. Oh, wow. wow. These are all two sheets of negatives. It's amazing. Yeah, you've been busy, I guess. (laughs) Gotta stay active. Yeah. That's right. Or else I go crazy. <laughs> I know For that real. feeling. For real. So what's some? what are some of your favorite film stocks? Do you have any uh, go-tos? Yeah, I use a uh, Tri-X 400. Yeah. That's my, good stuff. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to use a uh, BC, and, BC and UC Kodak, but they discontinued both of yeah. them. Yeah. It's a bummer. And now they made a, there was like uh, NC, mm-hmm. BC, and UC, and they pretty much, they called the NC portrait. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't really use color too much. It's kind of boring to me. Yeah, you seem like a black and white guy from yeah. from this. Yeah, that that draws me so much to your work. I'm I'm such a black and white guy. The way the digital stuff came and it's so oversaturated and it makes me not want to shoot color at all. You know? Yeah. I mean, I almost don't want to shoot black and white either because everybody just does a quick flip with the with the filters and and all that i just like to keep it to where i'm just shooting film and i still have negatives and i still have prints and all this is real like all these borders these are real Mm -hmm. these are real borders from the sloppy border from the frame on the around the negative when they do the dark room these aren't borders you could put on uh yeah digital borders yeah these aren't borders that you put on after and this isn't a filter here it's so good because i i uh i remember when i wanted to figure out how to do that when i was starting to uh make prints and stuff like that and somebody had told me to take a file and file out the negative holder to make it bigger than the frame and then somebody else recommended that they 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 sell what is it like what are they called uh they you can buy frames like that to put around your pictures which is so ridiculous yeah oh yeah and photoshop yeah 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 filters and stuff that's so wild crazy yeah it's crazy to see an instagram shot with like kodak border and you're like no yeah (laughs) (laughs) or or i love when they put the the like a proof sheet yeah and the negative and the sprockets and everything but it's like a color film yeah. stock like they'll put like kodak uh portra 400 and the photos being black, black and white. white yep oh it hurts my heart yeah and you're like man it, if they only knew <laughs> no such thing I, do you have any uh i mean i guess once covid kind of settles down do you have any plans to do any do you ever do any like gallery shows or do you try to you know do shows like that where you show your your work or yeah i'm trying to do uh some shows i'm i'm more excited do museums just because yeah. I feel like that's the ultimate level as a, as an artist is to be in a museum. Even though you can't sell nothing in a museum, it's just like the rule that you don't they don't sell stuff. But I just feel like as far as you know, like status as a photographer, mm-hmm. I would love to have my own show in a museum one day and just. You know, I've, I've been building up my resume as being in 
museums and shows and stuff, but I still haven't gotten that one solo show yet. I'm sure you'll get it, man. Yeah, Your stuff I was is... going to say, we'll stay tuned because yeah. that can't be far. <laughs> yeah, I'm pushing. Yeah. I got inspired when I saw uh, Dennis Hopper. He had a show over here at the Mocha Geffen Museum, mm -hmm. and he had like a couple hundred pictures blown up, and I was like, man, I could do this. You know, I was like, I got this many photos, and I have enough good, and it was all black and white uh, and they're all dark room prints i was like i could do this no, you know, I, I have enough enough photos and he had passed away and everything so i just thought like i want to do this before i pass away you know i don't want to be be the guy where they do a show right. for him uh, after he dies you know? yeah that's what I, that's another reason i want to do my dad's book now while he's alive yeah what kind of stuff was your dad shooting i know he was a big inspiration he does street stuff like a lot of uh you know, he lived downtown LA, so he's done a lot of the Skid Row stuff. Mm. He's done a lot of uh, neighborhood, you know, Chicano neighborhood stuff back from the 80s. And he has, he has a series of photos that he does in downtown LA when it rains. He goes out in the rain. Oh, wow. And shoots people in the rain. And I love that stuff. That's so great to have to have that as like an inspiration. Yeah, I like it better that it's that I have a family member yeah, that, yeah. I can, that I can say, you know, like, yeah, he inspired me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just feels better than seeing just a random person that I don't know. Even though, you know, I am inspired by a lot of people that are, you know, there's a lot of great photographers out there. But um, I love the fact that I could be able to say my dad is one of the people that I look up to as far as shooting photos. Yeah. Can't wait for that book either. <laughs> whenever that, whenever yeah. that comes out, I'm, I'm sure that era. I'm a huge LA fan. I'm I'm from back east, but LA had had my heart and drew me out here. So any images like this book, I'm sure your dad's got stuff that's gonna blow people away. Yeah, he 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 has some great stuff. We'll be right back with some listener questions for Esteban right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at Polaroid.com. All right, everybody, this is the part of the show where we take a question from one of our listeners. We're actually going to do two this time, but the two. first question comes from Mad Seti on Instagram, and he says, can you ask him what tour was his favorite to photograph or just go on? Uh, my, my favorite tour was uh, Smoking Grooves. And we did it for a couple of years. Cypress Hill was the headliners. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like we we're a partner on the tour. So we did it multiple years. And those are some of my funnest tours because the lineups were mm -hmm. unbelievable. You know, we had like uh, the Fuji's, Eric Abadu, Five Talk Quest, Busta Rhymes, Ziggy Marley. You know, we just had like so many power players in, in the music industry on, the, on those tours at that, for that time. And it was just incredible to tour those bands like you're just rolling around with buses all together wow. all over the united states for you know a month and a half two months non-stop every day it was just like one of the coolest yeah. things and, and cypress hill was uh the head like the main band in the group so we ran the show so i i kind of was like one of the main guys with the whole tour so that was a lot of fun what what year what time frame was that that was in the 90s yeah. late 90s I bet you have so many pictures that we would all love to see that you haven't released or yeah, anything like that. He's got a million. <laughs> oh, yeah. The other book I, I forgot to mention was Cypress Oh, Hill. I would oh, love to see yeah. that. And, uh, I'm working on a documentary with them now, and the book is going to be uh, me on tour from 92 to 2005. <sighs> 
Man. Amazing. I can't wait for that. I know. I might have to get every single book. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. That's yeah. what I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to make them all to where they're, you know, they're that good to where people want to collect them all. Yeah, this one was sold out um, right after the documentary, and I was checking your website like every day, and and then it popped back up on Amazon. I was like, bye, 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 <laughs> before it goes away again. Yeah, what happened was um, when the movie came out, everybody that had it on their site sold out. Yeah. But the distributor for the U.S. had ordered some before the movie came out because I had bought the rest of their inventory. Smart. So they were like, you know, we, we need a couple just to have. So they ordered a couple more, but they didn't know the movie was going to come out and they had no idea the, the effect the movie was going to wow. have. So even even those books came a couple weeks later. I've been waiting for 10 weeks for my next shipment. And uh, the, while we're doing this boom right now, the, the DHL lady's calling me to deliver them. She's like, I've been calling you. I do have to work, you know. Oh man! Yeah, I love that. Now all of a sudden, ten weeks later, there it's a big rush. Yeah, right. Answering her phone. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so we'll hit you with the second question. Yeah. All right. This question comes from R. Lanes, and he wanted to know how important is it to keep film alive for future generations? I mean, it's very important. It's part of the. I mean, what what would the photography world be without film? Mm. So you have to you have to think is is that important to have one of the, the key? I mean, there was film, cameras, and prints are the three things that you needed in a photograph. Yeah. So if you eliminate one, then you just are going from the camera to the print. You're eliminating a whole a third of of that. I don't know how you'd say uh, that art form. You're eliminating one of the tools of it. So I think it's important to keep it. For me, I I, I don't like the way digital photos yeah. look. I love the way the film looks. It's not. I I, I can't stand the way the TVs are now with the 4K. Yeah. Where every oh, it's too perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like there's no. Uh, it's so. Uh, it's like so hard hitting on the eyes. You know, there's not nothing like soft that you know falls out or like, like these photos that I was showing you guys like. I don't know. Just I've seen people's digital photos, and I've seen these, and I still just love the way film looks compared to digital. So to me, it's very important to keep film alive. I think every so-called photographer should at least have one film camera and shoot with it at some point. Even if they don't have to do it every day, like me, you can't expect everybody to be like me. <laughs> but it's still, I think you know, they should. You know, it's kind of like. I, I kind of wonder like what it's going to be like when did you see that movie Fifth Element when they had the cars mm-hmm. and there was no more wheels or anything like that they were kind of just yeah. floating like I wonder what's going to happen to all our classic cars all our mm-hmm. lowriders and stuff if we ever get to that point are we just going to try to keep it alive or are we going to be like oh you know nobody needs lowriders no more we have these new cars off the ground and they fly you know that's scary because when when things disappear like that there's it worries me because you know a lot of film stocks were going away a lot of you know film cameras really aren't produced anymore and it's just scary because now the resurgence is kind of happening and happening again like everybody's shooting film again and it just scares me like imagine if it would all just go away like that would be tragic yeah i mean you've seen it before with vhs yeah uh, eight tracks cassettes cds blu-rays i i've seen it happen with everything already so one more one more thing is like no big deal 
to the powers that be, but I think that us as people in the field of, you know, in the art form should keep it alive. Yeah, I love that you... Even if those people want to, you know, eliminate it. I love that you recommend when people say, what kind of camera should I get? You you refer them to the a film camera. That's brilliant. Yeah, I never, I never tell them a digital camera. Because then if it's some young kid, then that's what they pick up. They'll probably stay with it, you know? Yeah, a lot of people have. Not a lot, but I mean, I've had like the 30 people on Instagram saying, you're the reason I got my age. Wow. Well, I never yeah. turned back. I love it. Like, that's a good feeling, you know, that somebody listened to you and they're happy with the decision they make. Because so many times you talk to your blue in the face to people and they don't listen True. And they end up True. messing up messing up messing up you're like man i've been telling you <laughs> i told you so you don't listen yeah. but it's cool when it's somebody you've never met in your life and they've only typed in a thing to your dm and you recommend something and they went on using it and it like changed their life you know wow. it's like a cool feeling amazing all right so now we're going to ask you that maybe the tough question i have a feeling i know your answer but <laughs> If you could only pick one camera to shoot with, your Desert Island camera, for the rest of your life, what would it be? The Canon A1 for yep, sure. Yep. It's a good one. Because uh, it's, it's been my old faithful all the way through all these years that, uh, that I've been shooting. I mean, I've broken a lot of them and stuff like that. But for the most part, as long as you have a battery, you're okay. Yep. I mean, I've heard of those cameras where the, you don't even need a battery, and that would be cool if you could just go off your your eye or your meter or whatever but if you have a battery in a Canon one i just that's that's the one for yeah. me great answer love it i have three of them on my shelf right now so <laughs> i i agree with that yeah <laughs> oh man so is there any we have a, a part two of that question as well do you have any white whale cameras anything you're dying to shoot that you haven't shot or are you just are you dissatisfied with your AE1? No, I've shot everything. I have everything. I have a Pentax 672. I have a Leica M6. I have a Pentaxes, Minolta's, Olympus, Hasselblad, Yashica's, Roliflex. <laughs> I got them all except I think I, I think I even have a Mamiya. I have Polaroid cameras, LAN cameras, but my go-to camera is the Canon A1. That's you know, it's the best part about that is is Canon. I think I'm probably one of Kodak's best customers. <laughs> I, I I feel confident saying that. Yeah. You know, just just in the COVID times yeah. alone, I think I probably shot more film than I don't know anybody that shot more film than me <laughs> during these times. And then uh, so Kodak won't sponsor me, and neither will uh, Canon. And those. Two companies are two of the companies that I promote the most. And not not for that reason either. I'm not trying to get a free mm -hmm. camera out of them or free film out of them, but I've asked them to sponsor me and they said that they didn't it's kinda of like they didn't sponsor work like what I do. No though. way. I guess the gangster stuff or the women or whatever it was rubbed them wrong or whatever. Wow. I don't even care. Jeez. You know, I didn't need them to get this far, so I'm not gonna need them get any farther but i just thought it was weird like i i look at the people that they do sponsor i'm like man you got it all wrong whoever's your uh decision maker over there gotta ask backwards man i believe that I'm, I'm hitting the pavement every day and harder try i'm trying to hit it harder than anybody else and for you to just slam the door in my face and be like nah we'd rather go with this hipster guy that shoots one roll of film a month <laughs> Or, uh, you know, he has one camera that he just bought, you know, six months ago. We'll support him, but we won't support you that buys 
hundreds of rolls of film at a time or, you know, has, I, I, I could easily put up a case with a hundred cameras. I have them all in my yeah. house. Jeez. And I have hundreds of thousands of negatives. So it's like, why wouldn't you get behind that Dude, guy? Yeah. Right. But, 100%. You know, that, that's the way the corporate world is. And so true. It's true, unfortunately. Now, I mean, that's, that's crazy. That blows my mind. I thought for sure you would be, you know, sponsored by Kodak or something like that. Yeah, I've had friends that connect me to them directly. They're like, hey, this is my, my uh, go-to guy. He sponsors me at Kodak. I'll put you together on the email. I'm like, oh, great. And I think it's like my big lucky break. And it just goes like ghost. Jeez. Wow. What a shame. Hmm. Yeah. I'll just keep giving them my money. Yeah. <laughs> same. Same here. Yeah. Chris, is there anything else you, you want to ask I, while we got him? I, I'm sure there's a million things I could ask, um, but we won't take any more of your time, Esteban. It was an honor. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Where can everybody check out your work? Is it Instagram, website? Yeah, I have the most of it on my Instagram, but I do have some on my website. I mean, pretty much Instagram is, is my my book, my magazine, my website, uh, you know, my behind the scenes, everything for my life, all in one. Stevan Oriel. I keep it simple for you know for the people out there. My website is stevanoriel.com. What did you, what did you say today, Mario? Oh, keep it simple. Keep it. <laughs> That's right. The yes. kiss, the kiss method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love that. Well, awesome. Thank you so much again, Esteban. Um, it's been a pleasure, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, first off, Chris and I want to thank Esteban for coming on the show. It was such an honor. Love your documentary. Love your work. Man, everything about this interview was great. Thank you, Esteban, for coming on the show. Guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. For just a buck, you can get the show two days early. We release it every Monday in the morning on Patreon. We are also doing Patreon-only exclusives, Patreon after shows, just a bunch of little stuff over there. There's already a bunch of stuff over there. Just check it out. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. Guys, until next week, we will see you soon. Keep shooting photos and all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's it, guys. Later.